listen to a couple. Oh. <clears throat> How good is that song made by Asher Roth? No, Asher Roth is a rapper from the 90s. Asher Henry, who's a pediatric doctor, and he makes intro songs for podcasts. Uh, my name is Iwaki Marikson, and I'm the host of This Week in Sparkling Water. We have not had a guest for some time, but today we have a guest, my boss, Doug. How are you, Doug? Doing very well. How are you? So good. Thanks for having me. You know, first I have this need to like say apologize, say this meaningless thing that apologize that my house is messy. Like, why do people always do that? Yeah, I don't know. It's it's okay. You got how many people live here? Two. Oh, <laughs> it's like it's the mess of nine two, people. Two bachelors, right? Yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah. we both. No, I've I've been there. Yeah, and and even you know we have our moments even now. Yeah, right. Everybody has their moments, especially like um, the later end of my work week. Like I work five days in a row, and like the last today's the last day of it. Yeah, like the last day of the work week, the mess is built up. Yeah, you know, like that dishwasher really needs to be emptied <laughs> and refilled right now. You know what I'm saying? But it that also makes me think of this other thing of like. Have you noticed this thing of how, is this pattern just something I'm imagining? Is it, Do you feel like in colder places people have nicer houses and in warm places people have cheaper, crappier houses? Yeah, I suppose. I mean, if you're talking like really, really cold, like the Midwest and everything. Yeah. Houses are a lot cheaper back there too. <laughs> I thought you were going to say like the Arctic, <laughs> but no, the Midwest. Yeah, exactly. Than they are than they are around here, you know. So people yeah. will live in anything around here. Yeah, that's the economics of it. Is that huh? Yeah. Because like I remember growing up in Sweden, and in Sweden houses are like real nice, like the walls, everything just feels real sturdy. Mm -hmm. And then like I remember going to Southern Europe for the first time, and just being in Italy and being like, these houses are crap. Like, I'd never seen things that were so flimsy. But the weather was... But it's nice out. Yeah. It's nice out. And then, time. yeah, and then the same thing in China where, like, you go to someone's house in Beijing and it's like, it's like a fortress. And then yeah. you go to someone's house in Guangdong and it's like ghetto and tropical and covered in vines and about to fall apart. Yeah. And then here, I don't know, I was reminded of that recently because London, our boss... um, she was looking at houses to buy and she was like, yeah, it's 300 grand, but it's still like the materials are like cheap, cheap. Yeah. I guess I kind of had that. Uh, I mean, I didn't really think about it in that way, but it was like that transitioning from Salt Lake to San Luis Obispo moving to California from where's that? Salt where Lake in California is that? That is, it's uh, do you know where Santa Barbara is? Yeah. Okay, so it's a little north of there, an oh, okay. hour north. Same, uh, yeah, it's all considered the central coast there. So that's kind of the southern side of the central coast. Right. Where Santa Barbara is. Right. Yeah. So, yeah, the the houses in Salt Lake are definitely, the majority of them built more more sturdy. Those Mormons. Against, against the cold. Yeah. And in San Luis, it's a college town, and people will literally live in anything. Yeah. 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 This one time here, I um, 
some lady posted on Facebook that she, she was giving away free, free plants. And I went to her house and I filled my truck up with like all these plants. She had this like yard. It wasn't even a yard because it's just like a property. It's just on the side of the road. There was like massive amounts of free plants. So then after she gives me all these plants, I'm like, can I help you? Like, And then she's like, yeah, I'm moving. I'm leaving. And so she invites me into her house and it's like, like she was lovely and everything, but like her house was just one of those tough sheds. <laughs> like it was just plastic click together. Yeah. Stuff and and then I've I told that to people when it happened and everyone was like oh yeah I lived in one of those for for a couple of years and it's like it's so nice here but people are like yeah they'll they'll pay seven hundred bucks a month for something that clicks together like Legos right and that's I don't know yeah there's not uh, not too many days where you have to worry about being cold no although there are a few we had a few cold days this year yeah. Yeah, 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 with no heat. We got we got yeah. snowed in. Yeah, yeah, there was an episode of the podcast that I recorded with no power, uh-huh. and it was just a little bit of candlelight, <laughs> yes. and it was. So how did you run brutal. all this? Oh, you have a generator. Yeah, but I ran it all on battery. Like oh. the laptops have battery, oh. the phone have battery. Okay, I got you. Yeah, I saw all the gas cans out there. I assume those are for the generator. Oh, for sure. Yeah, yeah. Maybe we should do a water. Sure. Before we move on to um, other stuff. So we're doing elderflower. This is our second elderflower episode. Episode 61. I brought three waters from Sweden that were all elderflower flavored. Because in Sweden, we do a lot of elderflower. Mm -hmm. And it's like when you say elderflower in America, it sounds real fancy. It sounds like... Some shrub, some house-made shrub or whatever. But, like, elderflower drink in Sweden is, like, the Swedish version of, like, fucking Tang or Kool-Aid or something. It's just, like, a powder you pour in water and give to kids. Right. And it's real blue collar. But... And and uh, is it the same plant as elderberry? Yes. Okay. So, the ba- elderberry is just from the elderflower yeah. plant. Flad. I, I noticed that... Uh, Ikea is big on elderberry things. Yeah. yeah. Are they? Yeah. All right. Because like I... You get, okay. Uh, they have drinks and still elderberry okay. drinks and jam maybe. Yeah. Yes. They're, they're big on elderberry there. So, oh man, I've never thought of that. But, yeah. oh yeah, maybe at the cafeteria you can get like, yes, so that's Well, like, they have their little grocery store yes, there too. They the, have both. On, on the other end of the... Okay, we're going to start with this one. Belvoir Fruit Farms. Never heard of that. Yeah, organic elderflower and rose lemonade. Bubbling with real elderflowers. Is it from America? Yeah, so my whole episode 61, I kept being like, in America, they don't have elderflower. No. So then I Googled it, and I, oh shit, and I found that there are a couple of things. Yeah. And this was $22 on Amazon for a small bottle. Really? Yeah, so... They do have it in America. I mean, does it grow in America? Oh, yeah. It's like... It's got to, right? It's a weed. It grows like a weed, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay, Belvoir. I'm not touching that thing. You like this little tasting flight I bought on Webstaurant? Yeah, you you told me about it. Yeah. Again, different than I pictured it, but... Yeah, it's like for a little beer. Super functional. So fucking functional, dude. All right, so first we got to smell it. 
Ooh, so that's got a little bit of rose. You know, you notice that? Yep, it's very flowery. And and is that what elderflowers smell like in the in the Elf, wild? Mm, elderflower, like the flower drink, because flower and berry can both be used to make a beverage, sure. and they come out very different. Yeah. Whereas the flower is in Swedish, we used to same in Swedish we used the same word, and I think we probably just grind down the whole plant. Mm-hmm. Stalk and all, sticks and stems. Yeah. And but and this is more a uh, flower, maybe. Okay, let's try it. Ooh, that's tart. That's like got a little bit of a viscous thing going. You notice that? Sweeter than I anticipated. Lots of sugar and lots of it's syrupy. Yeah. And it's like super tart syrup. Oh, it's pretty good. Yeah, no, that is pretty good. Yeah. I don't know if it's $22 for a tiny glass bottle. Ooh, why does it have the EU label on there? Non-EU agriculture. Because it's made in America. That, that needs to be stated. Oh, product of United Kingdom. Oh, that's a Brexit icon. <laughs> Non-EU agriculture. You got to give it a score. So for me, that's like oh. a that's like a 7 out of 10. 7 out of 10. Hold yeah. On. I'm starting, you know, I'm starting from scratch here. Yeah. So. To, to me, that's like, it's that's a little bit too sweet. I really like it. I'm going to give it an eight. Yeah, okay. He, yeah. he likes it. He's going to give it an eight. Uh, <sighs> okay, I have to center myself. I mean, not that I haven't tasted sparkling water before, but. Yeah. Do you have a favorite? Um, it, Not really. I mean, I like Topo Chico. Yeah. We've, we've had this conversation. Yeah, Topo yeah. Chico is the best. Yeah, it's. Two days ago, I had this guest who was like, hey, you got a Pellegrino? And I was like, no, nah, I got Topo Chico. And then he's like, ooh, what's that? And then we had like an extended conversation about it. Well, and he then, picked the right one to have a conversation yeah, about yeah. That, didn't he? And then whenever people try to have a real conversation with me about sparkling water, I'm always like, <laughs> I'm always like, oh, do I tell him? And I never do. Yeah. I never tell him I have a sparkling water podcast. You except, never invite him to listen. Yeah. He and he even like brought it up again. He was like, "Wow, you're right about that Topo Chico. Those bubbles are sharp." Yeah, but I still didn't tell him. But then this one time, three months ago, I had a table that was sitting on table thirteen, and they were like, "I can't remember." But it was like we had Mountain Valley then, and they had all these opinions yeah. on Mountain Valley, and and it's like we talked about all these sparkling waters. So then I did it. It's like the one time at Holbrook that I've told someone about the podcast. And re- they were like, hey, we know a sparkling water expert. Have you heard of, and I think his name is Rob Holland. Have you heard of Rob Holland? No. Okay, he lives in this area, and he has a sparkling water, empty sparkling water bottle collection. And he sent me all these pictures because they give me his email and tell me to reach out oh, and, and you, tell me that I have to interview him on the pod. And you contacted him. Yeah. Wow. And he emailed me back, and he sent me 20 photos from his house. And the line is real thin between a hoarder and, mm, sure. and someone and who... Col- and a collector. Yeah. And an empty bottle collector. Uh, yeah. <laughs> empty bottle collector, collectibles. Yeah. And he had all these sparkling waters from different companies. And he told me about the history of how he got into mineral waters and stuff. Wow. Yeah. So it turned into a whole thing. So I'm going to interview him. It's been on the back burner because... Um, I don't know. For like a month and a half there, I, I just didn't know if I had COVID or not. Oh, yeah. You know, like January and February, like... Did you test? No, because I never felt bad. Oh. 
Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. But it's just like, it just feels rude to do stuff socially when people around you got COVID or whatever. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like the pandemic makes everything so boring. It really does. Yeah. It's just like, everything is just constantly like that. Yeah. So yeah, but now it's March and I feel, um, I feel good. So I'm going to have him on the pod anytime now. I feel I feel like I have a pretty high tolerance right now. Yes. I had a pretty good bout with it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You had a good. Yeah. You got COVID and you're like double vaxxed and stuff? Yeah. Are you boosted? No. Nah, instead of a booster, you got it. I got it. Yeah. yeah. That was my boost. You got you got that Satan Satan's booster. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, you freaked me out with all that talk about how you felt after your booster, so that wasn't your fault. Yeah. <clears throat> I The booster, I felt bad for... 24 hours. Yeah. But then instead you got freaked better, out. And then better you, than nine days. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Instead. Missed eight days of work. Yeah, exactly. That's. I never missed a week of work to being sick. That's that. Um, that's that human logical fallacy. Yeah. Wanting to avoid that 24 yeah. hours of discomfort. Very short-sighted. Yeah, and ending up with that eight days of discomfort. <laughs> I didn't want to ruin my day off. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, exactly. Don't want to ruin your day off. Yeah. Yeah, that's um that's the calculation for a lot of people. Yeah. Yeah, that's a toughie. Someone sent me this meme yesterday about how this person in the meme is like, Oh, you still have fluoride in your toothpaste, that's the government trying to control you. And then, oh by the way, can I borrow a cigarette? And it's <laughs> like that's 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 actually how a lot of people around here are. Oh yeah. That's a real Grass Valley thing to me. People totally. who are like don't want to get the vaccine because they don't know what's in it, but they do coke. Yeah, like they'll go to Crazy Horse and and if someone in, and, yeah, in the back anyone's, corner, anyone's coke. Yeah, that, if someone in the back offers, corner yeah. has coke, it's like oh yeah. But no, no, the vaccine you don't know what's in it. Right. <laughs> Cigarettes are a great example of that. Yeah, and it's also like there's this weird thing that people here do not want to know which is that like smoking weed is way worse for your lungs than smoking cigarettes because it's like this unfiltered, unfiltered. very rough smoke yeah and it's like in the order of it's like 30 35 times worse or something but it's also like maybe you smoke less smoke i know when i smoked weed i definitely smoked well, I never smoked cigarettes. I never yeah. did. They always made me sick. But but when I smoke weed, it never took much. I never had to. I never oh, had to yeah. smoke a whole joint. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, that always, sounds like you got a pretty good relationship with it. When I smoked weed, I had to. It took a lot of smoke. Yeah, it took had to fill my whole thing up. <laughs> I had to get more tar than air in my lungs. But it's been a while now. It's good. Yeah, it's good to be free of that yeah. urge. Yeah. It's been a long time for me. Dude. You know, not necessarily since I've done it, because I do do it occasionally. If yeah. The, if, the, if the, you know, all the, the planets line up and everything. Yeah. But, but it's been That's quite, that quite thing a while. I can't do. It's crazy. That's my thing of going to AA and stuff is more about weed than alcohol. Oh, really? It's like, um, yeah, with alcohol, for some reason, I had this friend who's a doctor and he would always tell me like, um, you got to drink less. 
And I did learn how to just drink two drinks. But then I would just smoke weed or do something else. Yeah. But the weed, like I was living in Seattle, and it's like there's weed everywhere, and it's the the vape pens. The vape pens, the extreme availability of the vape pens were so corrupting to me. Yeah. Because it's like there's no startup cost. There's no process. You don't have to roll anything. It's just this thing that you hit so quickly that if you just have the thought, it's already happened. Yeah. So that's where I had to draw this like super hard line. And you can do it anywhere. Yes. Nobody smells it. It's yeah, like, yeah, you don't yeah. Have to be, you don't have to be discreet about no, it at all. No, for sure. Yeah. Like, like, I remember a week ago or something, we were down in the Iron Door, and it's me and Will standing behind the bar, and there's this lady talking to us on at the bar. And then suddenly he, like, we're talking to her, and suddenly he smells weed. So he's like, oh, shit, is someone smoking weed in here? And he was going to go out and... And um, talk to the people and, and, and find who's smoking weed inside mm. and shut it down. And then he realized that it was the lady he was talking to who was vaping <laughs> while talking to us. And we didn't even notice. And then she's like, oh, no, 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 that was just me. That's not cool. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah. And it's like that's how visually sneaky it is. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like you can just kind of like lean your head down and now you're vaping. Yeah, there was, we caught, uh, when I first started working at Holbrook, there was a host who would, who yeah. would do it at the host stand. Yeah. I, I caught him a few times, you know, he'd turn around and, and I caught him a few times. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, you know, they're, they're so, it's, <laughs> it's like an appendage, you know. They, yeah. Yeah. It's that extreme availability <laughs> fucked me up. Yeah. But I wish I could do that thing that you're talking about of just like, oh, yeah, every once in a while when the planets line up. But it's like, bro, if I do it once, it's like, <clears throat> it's over. Yeah. Yeah. But it's. Um, when did you start going to AA? Um, I have like 991 days of sobriety right now. July 4th, 2019 is my sobriety date. I. Got wasted the day before July 4th, and then I was working on 4th of July. Uh-huh. Yeah, on 4th of July. Obviously, it's 4th of July, and you're, like, supposed to get wasted. But these weird Russians came in. And this is in Seattle. Seattle. And I had to stay super late. They, like, ordered all of our most expensive tequila. Mm. Super late. Right at close. And then they just kept ordering, and I just kept serving them. And it turned into such a late thing that I... That I Got off work so late that I missed all the parties. And that was like the tiny thing I needed to like break a thing. Yeah. And that morning was like the first AA meeting I ever went to. And that was that. Yeah. And then, I don't know. Not not one relapse. Oh. In all those days. No, no, no. You want to know, you want to know the one time I went to the store and bought a beer? When... It was my first week at Holbrook. No, it was my first week of having a section. No, I was still training. And Sherry came in on my last day of training. And it just stressed me out so bad. (laughs) She was sitting on table 36. Sherry's the owner of the restaurant. And she's a sweetheart. Yeah. She's so nice. But it's just a metaphor of ownership. She's the owner. That is so stressful to me. Everything stresses me out, dude. Every VIP. If you tell me there's a VIP and they have Instagram and they have 50,000 followers, dude, I'm stressed out. I don't remember. I don't remember Sherry sitting at table 36. I'm pretty sure I... you weren't there. It was Ryan. I know. I know when Sherry's there and I know where she is at all times. Yeah, you know what table she's at. Yeah. 
I don't remember 36. <clears throat> but I got yeah. so stressed that afterwards I just had to go to Walgreens and I just got a, a Heineken and I had like one gulp of beer and then I threw it away. Yeah, it's weird. Yeah. But it didn't turn into a big thing. Good. Yeah. So is there is there something special for a thousand days? No, it's it's there's coins, but they are like month, month monthly, six months, year. Yeah. It's that thing. I think there should be a thousand day. Yeah, metal. I think so too. I'm about yeah. to hit a thousand days yeah. next week. Speaking of, you know, this. Let's talk through this other thing that happened. Today is a Monday. One week ago. A week ago. Jason Momoa came in. Oh, yeah, right. Yeah. Again, I wasn't there. You weren't there. You missed it. Yeah, I missed it. Oh, dude. Sure, it was a Monday, too. That's why. Doug Bowles on Mondays. So I think it's so – celebrities are – it's so psychologically interesting because celebrities have this, like, incredible impact on you, but we have to pretend like they don't. Yeah. And it's, like, so shameful that they do. And we're all – like – I don't, how do we all get on the same thing And anyone thing there? who says that they don't is lying. Yeah. That says they're not affected. Oh, yeah, whatever. Yeah, because, so what happened is, like, I'm at work, it's a Monday, we're chilling, it's like 5.20 p.m. or something. And this kind of tall, kind of cool tribal tattoo hippie lady with long, curly, flowy black hair comes in, and she's got a long, like, frock. And she comes in, and she's like, okay, so we have a group of nine, and Jason Momoa is with us. And when she says that, first, it's just hard for the brain to... She said to, it to you. Yeah. She oh. came up to me and just, like, side-talked with me. Because there was no host. Yeah. Okay. It was a busser, but there's no host. Yeah. So she comes up to me and she says that. And first, it's such a thing that's hard to process that I wanted to be like, but what do you mean Jason Momoa is coming in? Because, <laughs> hey, Jason Momoa is, like, very famous, but he's, like, a re- like he's not a little bit famous. Yeah. He's, like, a true A-lister. And it's, and it's like, he's peaking right now. Like, he's he's hot commodity. Yes. Yeah. I think he's, but he's been peak. I think he's Aquaman. He's, like, in Dune. He was, like, in Game of Thrones. But I actually think he peaked a couple of years ago. And I think it wasn't so much the movies as much as it was... I think that there was a period, like a five-year period in the 2010s, in the mid-2010s, when if you polled American women, I think this is true, if you poll American women on like, who's the hottest dude or the hunkiest dude or the sexiest dude, I think he came in like number one or in the top three sure. for like five years in a row. Like there's just something about him yeah. where he's just like above ev- all the other celebrities because yeah. he's like so tall and manly and muscular. Yeah. But so that lady tells me that, and then it's like, it's like the gravity of the whole place shifts. Yeah. That lady says Jason Moore's come in. And the whole time I wanted to be like. You wanted to connect with him? It's like, no, I wanted to ask her like, like to confirm, to say it again. Yeah. Oh, right. Which is so, so like, but then you have to force yourself not to make her say it again, because then. You you sound like someone who was affected by the fact that there's a celebrity. Right. And that's not cool. Well, I mean, she didn't have to say that he was coming. She just said, we have a party and I. Yeah. But she's, I yeah. Mean, she wanted she wanted to use that, obviously. <clears throat> well, she was super giddy about it. Yeah. And I wrote a Facebook post about it and where I was all like, oh, Jason Momoa came in. And then someone sent me a picture of her Facebook, the lady who came up and told me. And she wrote the same post. Oh. She also wrote a giddy. And who who is she? So, 
the thing is, uh, they come in, they sit down, and I walk up to them. And first of all, I had to remind myself of like, how do I do this? Like, how do I do my job? And I had to remind myself to just um, say hello. Like that the thing is still that you say hello, even mm-hmm. though it's a celebrity. Yeah. Dude, I've never met a celebrity before in my life. So I was super affected by it. Yeah. Um, and I'll admit that. And I'll reclaim that. But mm-hmm. so I walk up to them and I, 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 I um, there was this thing two weeks ago. Where were they sitting? They were sitting in the PDR on the right, okay. nine of them. Right. And there was this thing two weeks ago where I was checking someone at 11 p.m. when I'm about to leave. Cass comes up to me and is like, so someone is showing up in two hours. So someone has to stay. So I had to stay and I stayed till mm-hmm. 1 a.m. Yeah. And the guy who showed up at 1 a.m., really nice guy. He was like, oh, I just flew in from New York to get a tattoo from Jason Momoa's ringmaker. That's what he told me, just randomly. And he takes his phone out to show me some pictures of some rings or some shit. Yeah. And I absorb that piece of information or whatever. So then I walk up to this table with Jason Momoa and I mention that. I'm like, hey, how are you doing? And I just chilled and i was like i heard someone once told me that um your ringmaker lives here Mm -hmm. and then this other guy at the table is like oh yeah that's me so it was him and the guy the lady who came up and talked to me was his wife the ringmaker's wife so they live in nevada city and you probably know of them probably judah kale do you know what that is no i remember i saw you uh i think you texted me that oh okay i couldn't yeah, I'm not sure. What's his... Does he have a... Shop? No, I wrote it in the manager log. Oh, yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah. Does he have a the shop? The other way of texting Yeah. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yes, he has a shop in Nevada City. And what's it called? Is it... Is it's that called Judica. That's what it's something. called. Yeah. But so... Yeah. Huh. So that was like this thing where... Where I was like so nervous going walking up to this table. But then because I had that one thing to say... And then I could be like, oh, yeah, Mr. Rivera. I met Mr. Rivera two weeks ago, and he got a tattoo from you. And then it was like I was part of the team. <laughs> then it was like I was part of the gang. Yeah. Because I had like a thing to say that didn't feel like a complete non sequitur. Right. So then like, even though. Oh, I really liked you on Game of Thrones. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Yeah. I didn't say I really like you on Game of Thrones. Instead, I was like, oh, you know Mr. Rivera? And then. It it was like I was cool, <laughs> and um, ice, ice broken. Yeah. yeah, but then it was the nicest table ever, and I did this thing where I was like, "You want? Can I give you a little briefing on the menu?" And I talked through the entire menu, and they just sat there all nice, following along with their finger, paying attention, asking questions along the way. Yeah, you described this in the notes. Yeah, yeah. most attentive. Least ADD table ever. Huh. Jason Momoa just like eye contact, following along in the ingredients, <laughs> asking questions. And then at the very end of briefing on all the favorite things from each section on the menu, at the very end, we get to the sides and I just mention like, and you know, if you want to try something, the, the most experimental thing on the menu is, is, um, is the harmony. We, we make it all from, it's locally sourced. We make it, from scratch in-house, we nixed the molasses ourselves so the husk dissolves. We cooked the hominy in, in coconut milk, and that adds a little bit of sweetness. We cook it to this beautiful al dente pasta texture. Gets a little bit of a floral note from the coconut milk. Hit it with the mole estofado sauce, which is like lighter than regular mole sauce that people are used to. Um, 
throw a little bit of sauteed oyster mushrooms on there, the creaminess with the mushroom, very nice, microgreens on there, and then and then these tiny uh, mini crispy tortillas that's like in lieu of croutons on a couple of our dishes. Sprinkle some of those on there for a little bit of a crunch with this with this chewy. It's like a little whole dish in and of itself. And Jason Momoa is just like captivated by this. And it, but he's he listens to this like super long explanation of what the hominy is, and then he's like, "But but what is it?" What's harmony? <laughs> and he like had no idea what I was talking about. Oh yeah. And then I had to be like, Jason Momoa, it's it's corn. It's corn, yeah. It's white. Jason Momoa, harmony is corn. It's big white corn. Yeah, it's yeah. big white corn. But it doesn't yeah. start out big. Yeah. Does it? I don't know. I... No, it starts out normal. Yeah. But you cook it and you puff it up like a popcorn. Yeah. But it's filled with something. So it's not airy like popcorn. Yeah. And then that's what he ordered. And it's hard to explain to people who don't work at Holbrook how funny it is that he ended up ordering the hominy. Right. Because what I say to guests is that the hominy is polarizing. Yeah. Because some people love it and some people hate it. And it's definitely the most... A lot of people leave it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> some, some people order it and you haul most of it back <laughs> to the dish bag. <laughs> it's just like yeah. a little bit... It's the coconut milk. It's, you know, and coconut kind of dominates. Yeah. It's like it's kind of, well, no matter what else you put in there, it tastes like coconut. Yeah. I've, and no, I've noticed that with a lot of things. I've tried, yeah. I've tried cooking things with, or using coconut milk, you know, yeah. and, or coconut oil instead of other things. Yeah. It just, it, it dominates. It, it doesn't, it's not subtle. No, it's not subtle. It cuts yeah. through. Yeah. It just has its own frequency. And you're always aware of that frequency. You're always tuned in. Yeah. yeah. And um, for me, it's even coconut water. People drink coconut water, but I can't, like, I have to be so thirsty and the coconut water has to be so cold. Yeah. Because any other circumstances, I drink that and it's just like, it just makes me gag immediately. Yeah. It just has like this dirt taste. I guess I feel like you, like on a, on a, if it's really, really cold. Yeah. I mean, I guess I don't have to be that thirsty, but if, if it's, if it's really, really cold, it's yeah. really good. But once it, you know, once it drops yeah. or, or goes above a certain temperature. Yeah. It's, it's over. Yeah. It just gets so grossy. Yeah. And again, I, I mean, you could do in coconut water, you could s spend a few months sampling those. There's a lot of different kinds and some of them are definitely yeah. better than others. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. <laughs> but yeah he got a side of swiss rainbow chard and a side of rice and the hominy and, and he, that's all he got yeah is he vegetarian i don't know i don't think so i think he's just like big on environmentalism oh uh, yeah okay it's uh um, doesn't doesn't trust the source of the protein yeah. yeah he he did say that the brussels sprouts were the best brussels sprouts he'd ever had Mm -hmm. I gotta tell Chef that. He doesn't know that? No. Huh. He doesn't know that. Yeah, the Brussels sprouts are good. That uh that Estefado is really good with those, I think. Yeah. And er everything about it. The the cheese is just right. Everything's yeah. right right in that yeah. dish. Yeah, and sometimes nailed it. <clears throat> they can come out a little bit on the black side. Yeah. They they can they can over fry them. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Whereas when they have a lot of green left on them. 
It's so weird. I we have uh, Brussels sprouts in Sweden all the time, and they're only cooked one way. You boil them. Yeah. You boil them. They don't. They're not cut in half. There's nothing. They just come out bright green, boiled, whole thing. Uh, Every and you, and you put anything on them, or you just salt use, maybe. No, not butter. No, no, no you would never butter. butter them. No, in Sweden. but but you end up in Sweden. Everything has gravy. Everything is a plate model. Yep. There's a meat. There's boiled potatoes. There's some kind of sauce, white sauce, a dill sauce. If you're doing fish, if fish is your protein, uh, brown gravy. Yeah, is the thing with every plate of food in Sweden. So that might be involved, yeah. but I can eat a lot of those Swedish meatballs and gravy at IKEA. Yeah, no, it's nice. Yeah, yeah, no, that's. That... I don't always feel the greatest <laughs> when I'm done, but that's fine. Yeah. <laughs> meatballs don't make you feel bad. Get over it. It's um, but I love those things. Yeah, it's like a perfect photocopy of um. Swedish school cafeteria food. Yeah. Anyway, point of the story. Jason Moore loved the Brussels sprouts. He's a nice guy. Everything was nice. He tipped a cool hundo. Uh-huh. And it was chill. It, it, he actually, he had like a, like a, like a body man who, uh, I thought that was interesting how like, who, like not a bodyguard because like he doesn't need a bodyguard. It's like Action Bronson. It's this rapper who's this big fat white guy, mm-hmm. and he has this one line in one song where he goes, "Why would I need a bodyguard when I look like a motherfucking bodyguard?" <laughs> yeah, and that's like the same with Jason Moa. Sure, he doesn't need a bodyguard because he looks like a bodyguard, but he has a dude who's also Hawaiian, who's like his bud probably, who's just on the payroll, who's smaller than him, who just pushes people away. So I think there was a moment, I didn't see it until right after, but I think there was a moment where people noticed that he was sitting in the PDR, in the private dining room, and people were trying to go in there. And so the body body man just goes up and it's like, please, just just give us a little bit of room. Really? And just like shooed them away a little bit. And then he was just hovering on his phone outside of the PDR, just lowering the temperature for a while. Mm -hmm. Oh, I see. Yeah, just hovering, making sure that nothing, nothing goes down. Because you want to nip that thing in the bud. Because once it reaches critical mass, you got a horde. You got an onslaught on your hands. He's got to be packing heat, right? Oh, yeah. 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 That guy is knives, at least. Yeah. For sure. But. um, Ninja stars. Yeah, ninja stars. Anyway, let's do another water. All right. Fever tree. I love that brand. Fever tree is awesome. It's really good. Yeah, I I love their ginger beer. Yeah. We have their tonic in our fridge right now. This is elderflower tonic water. Yeah, I haven't tried that one either. So, <clears throat> what you It's a big bottle. Yeah, it's a big bottle. It's nice. So, what's going to happen here, though, is um, this is going to be a lot of tonic. Like, this is a tonic water. He's it, pouring this like a bottle of wine at the table, by the way. <laughs> Slobbin, slobbering, bro. I don't know any other way of pouring water. It's just dink. Salute. See, this has a lot more elderflower to it, whereas the last one was lemonade and rosy and Mm -hmm. a lot of other things. This has the flower. Oh, that's a nice smell, dude. You smell that? Mm -hmm. Oh, that's wonderful. 
Yeah, it smell definitely smells different than that. That did smell more like roses. Okay. This is like an elderflower syrup kind of deal. That's mm. so flado. That's how you say it in Swedish. That's what this. That's the word in my mind when I smell this. This is the real stuff. Let's try it. Ooh, on the palate, it's definitely got that like astringent tonic water thing, mm-hmm. and some a little bit of bitterness. Yeah, it's quite yeah. bitter. That's actually kind of weird. Different than I was expecting again. And and again, a little bit sweeter than I was expecting. Yeah. I mean, it definitely just tastes like 50% a good tonic water. 50% real elderflower kid drink. Yeah. The Kool-Aid of Sweden. Again, though, pretty good. Yeah, no, I'm a big fan of this. Yeah. This is like a 9 out of 10 for me. Yeah. It is, though, gin and tonic. Like that nice terroir gin. Mm-hmm. That's like real herby. Yeah. From St. George. Yeah. Some of this stuff. Oh, get out of here, bro. Next next level G&T, for sure. Yeah, dude, that has yeah. relapse written all over it. <laughs> Oh my god. Take my money. Yeah. Delicious. Yeah. You gotta give it a score, Doug. Oh I'll, I'll go to the nines with you. Yeah. Yeah. At least. Yeah, that's good. I asked you if you'd ever been on a podcast and you were like no, and I asked you if you'd ever been on radio and then you started saying something and I cut you off and I said save it for the pod and I meant that. Yeah. Have you ever been on the radio? Mm-hmm. When we were doing some ad for South Pine, a radio spot. Oh, and, you guys uh, did a radio spot? That's so folksy. Yeah, but we but we had we had a guy, and it's funny. It's funny. This guy kind of reminds me of you. He, he, he was a server. He was <laughs> okay. a server at South Pine. He was okay. A, he was a server forever. He and, yeah. and he. We watched him go through his whole his whole um, transition from being an alcoholic to just going yeah. cold turkey one day. Yeah. And that happened while he was working with us. That's interesting. But, but really, really smart guy. Really, um, he counsels alcoholics now. Oh, yeah. In in SAC. And really, really well read and uh, and hated serving, but he did oh, it because it was, because it was, yeah, you, you seem to enjoy it more than more than he did and he would he had this way of just you know like he'd get so sick of the whole thing (laughs) and you know the people that would sit in his section you know we got more than one comment where like yeah that that uh server he's really funny but i i'm not sure if i should feel insulted or not by some (laughs) of the things he said you know he had this way of like of just like cutting you and you're like not sure if it was a cut or <laughs> yeah you know. that's the best though yeah totally that's and he was he job. was a master at it and anyway he uh he did our uh he did our radio spots because he was so oh. de- deadpan and, and uh you ever seen the the south pine shirts that say feel the joy yes you ever seen that yes yeah, yeah. on you that, that was his creation oh yeah. Feel the joy. Feel the joy. So that was. He'd be like, you know, he done he done, he done the commercial with South Pine. Feel the joy. <laughs> he invented that. Yeah. And it was wow. It's so interesting 
in the light of how everything was meant in a negative way. <laughs> so it was, yeah. it was. Yeah. No, it was perfect. And those, those uh, spots were pretty, I'd get people all the time telling me how, how much they loved our, our radio spots. And I remember, uh, huh. being, being part of one of those. Yeah. But the time I really remember yeah. being on the radio yeah. was when I was in a band in Salt Lake City and this, uh, we went down to the public radio station. Mm. There was this uh, DJ there. And I think she, she went from like 11 at night till three in the morning. Right. I can't remember when we were down there. Yeah. But she heard our demo, our demo tape that we put out there in a, in a bunch of places. And uh, she wanted to play it on the radio and have us there and interview nice. us. And so. Is that on it, Spotify? It was pretty fun. Uh, no. Why not? Can't you just put anything on Spotify? I, I mean, probably. We probably could. And, you know, I'm not, I'm not the, uh, I'm not a very good keeper of the records, but there is, mm. one, one of our members is re yeah. really good at it and probably yeah. has that on tape somewhere. He sends me stuff all the time of, of old stuff that we did. Oh, yeah. That person needs to just flick the switch and put it on Spotify. Yeah. Kind of surprises me that he hasn't. You can put any, this is on Spotify because I just put it there. Yeah. Yeah, there's no gatekeeper. Yeah. Man, I do not relate to people who aren't good keepers of the records. Like, yeah. I'm, I feel so anxious if I feel like the rec, like if something I put some effort into is like disappearing. Yeah. I, I don't, it's like, you don't, you don't feel like you have to have two copies of it in a storage unit with a third copy or. I, I do, but. I, I really wish I did. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. You know, but. Yeah. I, yeah, yeah. I can't. I just haven't. You, you know? just haven't. Yeah. yeah. There's this one thing where I, um, in 2007 or something, I was living in Shanghai and this, I was just partying and this guy who was like, he was older. I was in my early twenties and he was like 40 and Australian and he was he was, he worked in marketing, but he had directed a little bit of stage theater and he just approached me and asked if I wanted to be in this play. And I'd never done any acting. And I, and I go in and I read this, um, thing and, and then he cast me as like the lead in this play. And, um, it wow. was actually the first, um, like sort of like, gay themed play on stage in mainland China and they let us do it because they didn't have an opinion yet. Like the, the question had never come up. Like, are we going to allow people to talk about gay shit on stage? And so they just let us do it. And then two months later, some of our, some people we were like slightly aware of, they did another play called Madame Butterfly, which is like a reconceiving. It's like a mashup of some Chinese history thing of some old concubine and like some European opera and it's like about a trans person or whatever. And then at that point, cause it had been a couple of months, they had de developed an opinion on it and their opinion, the party, the Chinese communist party, their opinion was that we don't, we're not going to let this fly. So when they're on stage doing it, the military comes in and like shuts it down. But like my shit just happened fine. Huh. And it's like, I was the lead and it, I, it was like these crazy things where I like I had to, discover my own sexuality in this play and like the fictional character. Sure. And then like, 
develop a relationship with my mom and my stepdad and get a boyfriend and talk to the boyfriend and all those things. And then there's like video footage. The reason I bring it up is because like there's video footage. This lady filmed it. And it's like the one thing that kills me because uh, I can't remember her name, but but she was friends with this DJ. And then later, it was actually related to the play. I was in the play and then some girl saw me in the play and I ran into her later in a, at a bar and she was like, you want to come to dinner with me and my friends? I have this friend. I want to set you up with my friend. And so we go to dinner at this little place called Kota's Kitchen, this little fancy Japanese place where like they have these sake bottles that are like the huge ones, like big magnum, bigger than a magnum. Yeah. And so you can't finish the sake bottle in one sitting. So you get to put it on this enormous shelf and put your name on it on this like cool paper tag. For next time. Yeah, for next oh, time. Wow. And then huh. you come in next week and, and finish your bottle. Yeah. And it's like this old timey Japanese system that's like so fucking cool. Yeah. So we got one of these enormous bottles of sake and we went back next week but i go on this dinner with these three girls and i end up in a relationship i wow we had this incredible first date where i mean i can't describe everything that happened but it's like i had this little gasoline scooter and she like gets on the back of my scooter without even asking and we're like making out and driving and i'm like wasted and it's like weaving in and out of the shanghai traffic and she like climbs in the front and she's like sitting in front of me and we're like making out and driving and it's dangerous, Doug. Yeah. But it sounds dangerous and romantic. Yeah, it was romantic yeah. and dangerous. And then we yeah. like got to my house and it was loud, dude. Mm. And my roommate was like, That's the loudest thing I ever heard. <laughs> and I ended up being engaged to this woman. But the thing is that she, her she had an on again, off again boyfriend at the time. Mm-hmm. And this French DJ who was friends with the filmographer at the play. So because I stole the girl away from the DJ and he was so butthurt and he would like chase her down and cry and just do these scenes in the streets where he's like on his knees outside of these bars trying to hold her hand and just crying. (laughs) Like French men are so manly until they're not, you know? (laughs) Man, French dudes drive me crazy, dude. I hate them. (laughs) They're the worst. And so this guy, his life was ruined because I... (laughs) <laughs> because I stole this girl away from him or whatever. Mm. And the filmographer in the play I was in was really good friends with the DJ, with the guy. So she buried it. So there's this video of me being like 19 years old in Shanghai doing this play. And it was awesome, dude. I did such a good job because I was really young and I had like gone through a lot of these things that were like super similar to the script. Sure. And I just like did such... And then I was in a bunch of other plays because I... God liked it, and yeah. but they, I never, I was never the lead, and I never found a character that was like. I realized that it didn't have much of a range, and I wasn't really a good actor as much as I just like had landed in, accidentally in this like one part. Well, how how did it come that was, you got that part? This guy just picked you. Yeah, because we we were just friends, and he just honestly he oh. was forty, and it's a play about a teenager. And he didn't know a lot of young people. Uh, and I just I hung out with a bunch of 40-year-olds. Yeah. 
And I was like the young person in the group. So he was like, you want to audition for this thing? And then I just read this piece and he was like, oh my God, he's Jamie. He was like so serious about everything. (laughs) (laughs) But so that is something that really weighs on me because it's the one thing that like, I'm obsessed with this idea of like keeping records and and, um, the fleetingness. I'm so uncomfortable with the fleetingness thing of life yeah like that's what the podcast is about the podcast is about like having a permanent record it's like a time capsule and snapshot yeah and i because i just have all these things that happened to me in my early 20s that i don't remember that were crazy and i don't remember them so at least with the podcast i feel like i just sit down here every week and i just talk through the psychology in my own mind of how i'm suffering and and how i'm working on things and what happened yeah. So at least I just had this like boring, freeform, ranting, meandering record. I think it's great. Like I said, I wish, <clears throat> I wish I did. You know, right? I just, I just didn't. You know, yeah. Never got in the habit. <clears throat> yeah, it's not like I don't have. You know, I got a bunch of pictures and yeah, and uh, yeah, yeah, and some old videos and stuff. You know. It's nice. It's nice nowadays that you you know if we wanted video of our kids, we had to go buy a video camera, yeah, and buy little videotapes, and and keep them organized, and, yeah, you know, and it's very labor intensive, yeah, the way it, it it was. If you're not, if you don't stay on top of it, if you do it all in the moment, it's not that labor intensive. If you're like, okay, I'll get to that later, yeah, and you got a stack of tapes and. You don't know where they're queued up to, and you have to watch three yeah. hours of video to find out what's on there, only to find out, oh, I only recorded 10 minutes of this whole tape, yeah, you know, and stuff like that. So, Yeah, and for some reason, with that old equipment, I don't know, we weren't that good, because we only used it sometimes. Yeah. Like VCR, like real camcorders and stuff. Like with phone cameras, we use them all the time. So we're like really adept at using them. Mm-hmm. Like it reminds me of how, so I I got married. I've been married one time and I got married in Hangzhou in China and, and we hired this guy to film it. <laughs> and he was like this weird um, ethnic minority monk type character, but he was really a sort of trustafarian. Like the easiest way to trans I mean to translate it to American culture is trustafarian because his parents were I think he was Xinjiangese from like the western reaches of China. They had this like Muslim population that's like super oppressed. Yeah. But a tiny sliver of the Muslim Xinjiang population is part of the government because they put a bunch of people in the government to make it look like these yeah. people aren't being oppressed by outsiders. So his parents were military commission people. So, which is such a weird, like, racial traitor thing that I'm super fascinated by. Yeah. That actually, I, I spent a long time, the novel I just put out, I spent a long time trying to make it about that. But it's just, like, not really my story to tell, so it didn't really turn into that. But, but the point is that he had these rich parents, and his parents are these successful government people with access to all this, like, corruption. And the corruption makes you end up with a lot of money. Sure. So he had a lot of money. So he had all this expensive equipment. And he called himself a videographer, you know? And he had this, like, nice website. And he was really cool and really, like, quiet. 
And sometimes when someone is cool and quiet, you think that the things that they are thinking about must be so genius. <laughs> and they give you this like genius vibe. Yeah. Because they just say less. And so we bought into it and we were like, oh, this guy must be some auteur, yeah. genius videographer. And so we, we hired him for almost no money. He did, I th maybe he did it for free to um, grow his portfolio. And he didn't know how to use that equipment. He didn't film anything. Really? Like there were all these speeches and stuff. He just would film, a, he filmed like a little flower. He filmed like people's feet. <laughs> And he filmed no talking. Like for all the talking, he was like, like sitting there, nice listening. So I had to turn into nothing. So what was your wedding like? Did your parents come there for it? Um, no, um, it was. It was her parents. No, okay. the thing was that we were in China. We were making up this plan to move to America because I had been in China for like 10 years and I was a little bit sick of it and she wanted to go to grad school. So we had this plan. We want to move to America. And then we're sort of realizing in the paperwork that you have to get married to be able to move as a couple to uh, America. Really? Yes. Huh. Sort of. There is a fiance route. You were both American, right? No, no, no. I'm a Swedish citizen. Don't oh. you think I'm a you oh. think I'm an American citizen? <laughs> That's so funny. No, I'm a Swedish citizen. Yeah. For me to move to America, we had to like get married. Or yeah. like there are a lot of different paths, but um we um we got to get married. So we're so we so I place this call to her parents and I'm, I basically tell her, tell them, tell her mom that we're going to get married. And then and then the parents were were all happy about it. <laughs> but um had you met them face to face at this point? I had met the dad. He'd visited. Oh, okay. And he's like this super wealthy uh one of the VPs of one of the biggest tech companies in the Northwest and he yeah. has like hundreds of millions of dollars and I made a really good impression on him. Yeah. And when I went to the bathroom, he immediately was like, "So when are you going to marry this guy?" So I like had an in but calling and just saying we're going to get married um, didn't go over well. Sure. Because they, I didn't invite them. Yeah. And we just did the ceremony and didn't invite them. So we did a ceremony without the parents. We were just invited 30 friends and we like rented a bus and we went to the government municipal building where you go and register your thing, your legal marriage. That's the only way to really get married in China. There's no church yeah. marriage thing. Oh. Um, and then we like took everyone to these different scenic spots that were really cool. And then we went and had Indian food. Uh, we rented out this big, nice Indian place. But um, yeah, that was the ceremony. But then, and I've covered this on the pod before. It's like, because the parents weren't invited, all of our parents made us do like a second and a third ceremony mm -hmm. in America and in Sweden. Mm -hmm. So it was a whole thing. <sighs> it's a whole thing. Yeah. Okay, let's do the third water. Okay. Right? So... In a can this time. Yeah, so this one I bought here mm -hmm. at the Sunroom. Do you know what the Sunroom is? It's a store yeah. in Nevada City. Uh-uh. That's funny because one time at Holbrook, I saw a postcard from the Sunroom that had a coupon code, a promo code on it that was like Holbrook Team or something. So Holbrook has some sort of deal with them where we have a code but you where, haven't heard of them where is 
sunroom? So it's by what's the name of that movie theater where I went and saw that uh The Onyx. The Onyx. So it's next door to the Onyx in Nevada oh, City. Okay. Right next to Jernigan's or whatever. Right, yeah, yeah. Right there. Okay. It's actually physically next door to a place called the Yoni Temple. Have you <laughs> heard talking, of the Yoni Temple? We were talking about that last night. Yeah, we were. <laughs> Have you heard of the Yoni Temple? Yeah, I've heard of it. Yeah. Okay, so it's flat next door to the Yoni Temple. Okay. There's a place called the Sunroom. All right. The Yoni Temple. I had never heard the word yoni before I moved here, but it's the word that hippies use for vaginas. Yeah. Well, I yes. think it's I think it's Sanskrit or something. I think. Oh God, it's so insufferable. T- totally. Oh God, that's insufferable. Yeah, I'm, pre- I'm pretty sure. I'm pretty sure that's what it is. That's so fucking funny. Yeah. But it is cute if it's from it's Sanskrit. Slang. It's yeah. not slang. It's as, not just, I mean, it is also slang. Yeah, it, some can be Sanskrit it, it, and sure, yeah. So, um, yeah, the sunroom is weird. It's actually like Javi that I live with. Shouts out to Javi for giving me the house to record this podcast. <laughs> um, Javi this one time texted me and was like, I found all these sparkling waters at a store that's like got sex toys and sparkling water and plants. Oh, that's the sunroom? Yeah. Oh, okay. And it's three separate businesses. I, I, do, I do know where that is. Okay. Yeah. Have you been there? I've been by there. I haven't actually been in there. Yeah. I know I know the girl who runs it. Okay. I know s- someone who's involved in it. Yeah. yeah. It seems like there's a lot of people involved because it's three very separate businesses because I went in there and I bought this mm-hmm. and I bought a plant. And she's like, got all these iPads on this counter. And she's like, okay, this is going to have to be separate transactions because all these things are completely unrelated. Mm-hmm. The fact that they have sparkling water and... You know, yeah. monsteras and, you know, vibrating eggs. Right. But um, anyway, yeah, so um, this is blackberry elderflower. The third one, keep me refrigerated, I am pressed. <laughs> I didn't, when I, after I bought this, I didn't know that I have to keep it refrigerated. So it was unrefrigerated for about 24 hours, but that should be fine. So there's a lot of weird words on here. 100% plant-powered immunity blend. Fresh-pressed elderberry. <sighs> Let's try this fucking thing. Give me your glass. Ooh. It's got color. It's got color. And sediment. That's nice, dude. That's yeah. looking like a... That's looking like a nice, syrupy, non-alcoholic beverage. Oh, yeah. All right. Yeah. It definitely smells more like grape juice than... Yeah. Oh, grape juice is what you're getting? I was going to... Yeah, it's very light. No, very little smell, actually. Indiscernible elderflower. Yeah, it does not smell like the others. No, it does it not. It definitely less flowery. Yeah. I'm getting... Um, how any beverage with berries is always syrupy and has this thick, viscous quality to it. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I'm getting that this is going to be thick. Yeah, very little on the nose. Let's try it. Hmm. It's lighter than I thought. Not sweet. I yeah. mean, a little bit sweet, but not. Yeah. yeah. Surprisingly unsweet. Not syrupy yeah. at all. Mm-mm. Good. This is light and tart. Oh, that's really nice. Yeah. Especially after those thick, thick, sweet ones. I'll give that a... I'll give- I'll give that a nine. Yeah. Yeah. I'm giving that a nine, too. Mm-hmm. That's just like a cool, hip, yeah. not sweet beverage. Let's do a listener question. Okay. 
I ask people what to ask you. Ask him about how he got here, if he struggled at any time with anything. He is raw and honest. He's expecting his first grandchild soon and loves his bride, Wendy, unconditionally. If I was interviewing him, I would ask how he meets everyone where they are at. Where did he learn his kindness and compassion for others? His vibe is so rad and authentic. Who do you think that's... Who do you think came up with that question? I don't know. I've been thinking about it ever since he started reading it. <laughs> Such a pandering softball know, question. Really. <laughs> so lame. Yeah. What is this, CNN? Um, okay, so there's a lot there. Yeah, but we st we're starting with you guessing who asked oh, the question. Oh, because who... who um, expecting his first grandchild. I mean, my wife? <laughs> no, that doesn't make any sense because it's in here. He loves... Oh, yeah, okay. Like she would talk about herself in third person? Yeah. No, it's uh, not your wife. Okay. You think I'm texting with your wife, Doug? Yes. Yeah. Well, I I mean, who... Who Who knows? Yeah, Joey doesn't know that you're having a grandchild. But that sounds like someone who kind of knows me. Like, yeah. I mean, like, no one at work really knows me like that, right? You think so? I mean, they know. They know I'm a... I mean, they know I'm having a grandchild. Maybe. Yeah. Yeah. And I guess, and I guess, some of these traits that were stated in there are just observable in the time. Universally that known that, that I've been <laughs> that I've been there. Yeah. Yeah, that's Kimber. Really? Yeah. It's Kimber. Oh wow. Yeah. Kimber. Kimber's a sweetheart. Yeah. So how how did I get here? Yeah. Is how did you end wondering? up in restaurants? Let's oh. ask that. I always figured it was, you know, I always had, uh, I always needed to be around food. I needed, oh, really? I needed food security. Oh. You know? And so working hmm. at restaurants and grocery stores always hmm. gave me some food security. Huh. Yeah. That's interesting. Yeah. And so it was, it was a restaurant, then it was a grocery store, and then, then it was a restaurant. Yeah. And then it was, uh, then, I got away from it for a few years, and that's where I met. I worked at a uh, a life insurance company. Oh wow! Okay, for a few years, but that's where I met Wendy. Oh, where, where we had Hunter. Hunter was born during that time. Oh, then I got out of that, and started working for a grocery store again. So Wendy worked at a life insurance place. Yeah, it's there's definitely a positive way to see it like that, where it can feel like you don't have a real career and stuff when you work in restaurants because it feels flimsy. But it, there's a positive way of seeing it, like at least you're doing something because it's food. Mm. Because it's food, it is directly related to someone's experience of something. Yeah. Like if you're – life insurance is a good example of just like – like if I had these office jobs, we work on something for months – and then it just sort of peters out. Yeah. And it never was never manifested. And it was just a bunch of planning for a thing that never happened. And you literally can look at four months of your life and be like, that had no bearing on the universe and no one experienced anything. Yeah. Like there was no human being receiving anything at the end. Right. No product, no service was thing. Like office jobs can have that vague vibe. Yeah. And then sometimes it changes the world. You know, you do yeah. something in office and it changes the world, but it's like real fucking abstract. Yeah. And it's so different from like in a restaurant, you, 
an onslaught of people at least have this firsthand experience of something that you yeah. are. And it's... Yeah, I was excited to get to get out of the, the office building for sure. Yeah, I can't manage to get back in there. It's so hard psychologically. Yeah. Just, I just do really like restaurants. Yeah, I like, you know, I guess I decided that I liked restaurants better than grocery stores. You know, I got my first management job at a at a grocery store mm. and uh and it seemed like it seemed like there was just it, there was never this this feeling of being finished like it, it was it was a little overwhelming for me and, and i'm the restaurant business can feel that way too yeah. especially from a management perspective yeah but it's it's more manageable to me to yeah. Be able to manage that. I was managing uh, produce. I was the produce manager for this company for a long time. Yeah. And, you know, it's per perishables. And I mean, there's perishables involved in everything, but on that level. Everything it's, perishes. It's, it's, on a long it's a burden. Yeah. 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 That, yeah. Yeah. I know you mean that concept of finishing, like how that feels psychologically to work on something that never finishes mm -hmm. and to just like, it's almost like there's two states of mind with a job. Like either it's a thing that's like always weighing on you that there's something, that there's a problem or like it's fucking, there's still more to do or yeah, it's like this ongoing big heavy thing or it's it's got this really nice discreet thing where it's got this arc and it like ends. Like I was a salesperson in China for a long time in offices selling like wine and alcohol and stuff to like stores and grocers and different things. And it's like this really intangible, you just sit with, and you just check your email all day and it like never, and it, I wasn't super successful at it. And it had this like incredibly uncomfortable, long-term, vague, nothing, you never know if it's successful or not Yeah. in the moment feeling to it yeah and then i one of the first jobs i did when i got to america was i just signed up for this um temp agency and they it was like manpower manpower.com and they hooked me up with this guy who was selling tape and he he brought me to he just needed someone for a week for the seattle boat show seattle is huge on boats and the big boat show in seattle they rent out the big convention center and they bring like 500 enormous yachts indoors and it's all these booths selling boat related stuff so i was selling this piece of tape called um rescue tape it was called rescue tape it's a self-fusing polymer it's a non-adhesive tape so it's just like this weird piece of space plastic that you pull to activate it and then you wrap it around something and when it touches itself and it's been pulled it just fuses with itself so it's like this weird specific product that you have to like explain to people in 20 seconds as they walk by a booth yeah. and he sat me down the night before we were in a diner the whole thing was like i was so blown away by how american everything was mm. we we sat in a diner it was like a burger diner late at night and it had like these vinyl booths like you're sitting in a fucking cadillac and the whole thing was so weirdly american and he was so weirdly american he was like so old like he was like in his 70s but he couldn't retire because like he 
He told me his whole life story immediately. Mm -hmm. And he like, because he didn't have enough money to retire, but he did pretty good with the rescue tape. <laughs> and he was kind of like unhappy and stuff. Um, and I was blown away by the immediate America because not no part of that experience exists in Sweden. Like we don't have those diners and we don't have seven year olds who have to work. But he told me at the in that booth, he was like, look, this is the Zen of selling. Because you have a micro moment as they walk by your booth. You have 20 seconds to get, get their attention, to say something, a hook that will make them walk over to you. And then you have about 90 seconds of their attention span. And then you're going to sell them this $25 product. And it's a thing where they pay 25 bucks to get this roll of tape. And if you're on a boat in the middle of the ocean, that thing might save your life. So it was actually kind of easy. Yeah. And we sold a lot of it. But you got to... A-B test phrases, you know, like A-B testing, like you have two versions of something mm -hmm. and you test both versions 10 times each. And then you have a lot of data on like which version is better. So as you stand there for long, for like 12 hour days at the Seattle Boat Show and people just walking by, there was this, there was this brutally satisfying finishing feeling when a person walks away because yeah. it's over. Right. Like that was the whole experience. The sales process isn't five months. Yeah. It's five minutes. Yeah. And that feeling of at the end of the day, there's no one at your booth and there's nothing else you need to work on. It's so satisfying. And that really like, ex that really made me really open my eyes to how like nice that is psychologically. Yeah. The smallness of stuff. The smallness of stuff is like. Right. Super nice and comfortable. Yeah. And, and to me, you know, comparing the two, you know, Restaurants feel more like that than grocery stores. Yeah, like it's too. There's just something overwhelming. Yeah, about that. And maybe it's just the maybe it's just the particular jobs I had, but but uh, no, but yeah. like that's what it that's what it's like to have a fucking computer job. It's like this overwhelming, long term fucking. <laughs> there's a vague end that you never get to because the goalpost yeah. is always moved. Right. Yeah. So hey, how is Kimber? Kimber's good. Good. She, she got a job in Auburn. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Doing what? Restaurant. Oh. Bartending, I assume. Nice. Yeah. I think she's good. She goes here. I haven't seen yeah. her. I haven't, I haven't talked to her at all since she left. Yeah, so that brings up this other thing that I... So uh, one of the big reasons for having you on the podcast, even though I don't have a lot of guests and I, and I really... <clears throat> I I have a rule against guests, but I make an exception. It's like the podcast is like this. It's snapshot and everything, but it's like I I think that there's like this loneliness crisis in our society that we don't really talk about, that we're not aware of so much. And I think so many things in our culture is a reaction to how there's a loneliness crisis. Like so many things, like TV shows are like they are character would they call them character driven but really it's just that you watch TV and you 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 get to know these characters on a show and they tickle the same part of your brain that friendship tickles so you feel like you're friends with these people on TV sure because we don't see people enough and the truth is that like we have these concepts of like oh my best friend is this guy or my friend is this guy but your real friends are the people at work Like, in a just de facto way. Mm -hmm. The people at work are your friends. And it's like... That's been my experience. And it's weird because we're not honest with ourselves about it. Yeah. 
and I spend so much time with you. Like I spend, like I have this vague concept of like, I have this buddy, Sebastian, that I grew up with, who was back in Sweden. We like lived in China together for years. And then he eventually became a diplomat and had to move back to Sweden. And then they sent him to Shanghai. And now he's back in Sweden and he's about to be moved somewhere else. But it's like, I, I haven't seen him for four years, but I have this vague concept that he's my friend. But it's like, in any sort of meaningful sense, I like spend probably 10,000, like I spend 10,000 times more time with you, you know? Yeah. And, but it's weird because it's like, we choose our jobs and when we choose your, when you choose your job, you do feel like you choose your friends there because you choose it based on the people that are there. But you make that decision one time and then it's not up to you who gets to stay or not. Yeah, you don't have any control beyond that point. No, after yeah. you've walked through the turnstile, <laughs> mm -hmm. now you work there and now there's like a boss that decides who your friends are. Yeah. Which ones of your friends get to come hang which out? Which ones get to stay? Which ones got to go? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And it's like, not that we disagree with our bosses or whatever, right. but it's weird to not get to decide who your friends are. Yeah. And Kimber and other people, it's like we're friends with people and then we're not. Yeah. And it's a weird concept. And I don't think we're being totally honest with ourselves as a culture about yeah. what it is. Yeah. No, I think, <laughs> I think you're right. Yeah. And I think, and it makes me wonder, like, like, Because Kimber, Kimber is an example of it, and Ryan's another example of it. Like I haven't spoken to either, and I felt pretty yeah. tight with both of them for yeah. for a while. And part of it was just necessity. We were working together, and we were trying yeah. to trying to pull this thing off day to day. And yeah. and you have to, you know, it's a lot easier to do when you're working together and getting along. And yeah, and uh, and but but in both those cases, it just, it just feels strange when I when I pause to really think about it, that like, like zero communication because yeah. they, because they left Holbrook. Yeah. I don't, I don't, I don't talk to him or see him or anything. Yeah. 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 No. And, and it is true that there's like, um, there's like a weird intimacy that happens when you have like just working together Because when two human brains look at one problem and like both think about the problem and work on the problem mm -hmm. and you like bounce ideas of how can we solve the problem, like that act, that totally universal act of whatever the problem is, like it being a job or whatever, sure. there's like this intimacy that's created there because you kind of, you really, it's like you get to know each other more, almost more than your friends that you just hang out with. Like if you just go to dinner with someone every day, forever. Yeah. And you never work on a problem together, you don't re like there's a big side of them that you don't know. Right. And you get to know someone quickly. You feel like you get to know someone quickly, or there's a side of them that you get to know quickly. Sure. When you work on a problem together. And it can feel really intimate, especially when it gets difficult. Yeah. Under duress. Yeah. Yeah. And like restaurants can feel difficult. Mm -hmm. There's shifts that are difficult. Yeah. Where it's like, there are too many people. <laughs> there are too many guests yeah. that need too many things. Too much. And we, yeah. And there are too few problem solvers. Yeah. And things get harrowing. Yeah. Like, we, have sh we had shifts in December where it's like, it was so busy. 
and and shit like like there's enough people but the dishwasher in the bar breaks and floods the restaurant mm-hmm. and there's like repairmen back there in the middle of a friday night and it's super busy and the whole town is full of people because it's cornish christmas yeah and we're all just like <laughs> everyone is just in a little bit of a state of like quiet panic yeah just can't be done <laughs> and um and there's trauma bonding there yeah yeah and that's another thing about uh you know that, that goes along with this um the what i perceive as the burden of grocery store work compared to compared to restaurant work is those moments and i've gotten so used to it now i've been in yeah. it so so long and been in those situations so much you yeah know, you really eventually you realize okay this is gonna end it is, right. It is going to be okay. Right. You know, the place is going to close. And, and like whatever most, happens. And yeah. most people are going to go away happy, you know. Yes. So a lot of people do understand that, yes, yes, this place is extremely busy. I can't expect to get all the attention that I want yeah. right now. Not everybody, but, you know, a lot of people do. So Totally. It's, yeah, that, that it is going to end feeling. It's yeah. so is something you can ultimately lean into mm. and you can get so jaded in a good way yeah. where it's like, I feel like I have ma- uh, um, attained that ability to regardless of the profound state of panic mm-hmm. that everyone is in, I can maintain that feeling of, well, this is a little bit funny. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. You can, you can look at it and laugh in the moment. Yeah. <clears throat> Where there's no true, and I do feel like not everyone is like that. No. But you and me both have, we're old enough or something. Where like I think we, that's part of it. Yeah, yeah. Where we're like, I never, no longer do I ever feel true panic. Yeah. That cuts to the heart of me. Because I used to feel that. Yeah. Like when Definitely. I didn't have a handle on serving. Yeah. Get out of here. Every shift was yeah. harrowing. So stressful. But now I feel like I got a good handle of it and I do my, I set my, like I spend time, like I Google shit every single day when I'm not at work being like, what is the difference between a Ruby port and Tawny port? Yeah, right. And then I know that and then I go in and I'm so prepared that when I'm in there, like, eh, I don't really give a fuck. Yeah. And that, yeah. And then I talk, and then I've, I've talked about this recently with people, how I do feel like there's this, um... There's a spectrum of how much you care, where you should care a little bit, but you shouldn't care too much. Yeah. And if you care right in between in the middle, that actually makes you the best employee and server and restaurant worker. Yeah. Because when you care too much, like we got a couple of people on the staff that care too much and they get too stressed out. Mm-hmm. And when they the Brits of the world <laughs> where it's like when she starts caring <clears throat> yeah. less, she's going to be even better. She's already a wonderful underrated, one of our best servers. In, indeed. And she's yes. come, she's come a long way. Yeah. Like she's, absolutely. Yeah. But when she starts caring a little bit less, she's going to be like star, you know? Yeah. So let me ask you the only question I was going to ask you, which okay. is like, how do you, how are you a good manager? What does it mean? What does it mean to be a good manager? Do you have a philosophy? Uh, well, that that caring that 
caring thing that you were just talking about. Yeah. That's, that's a big part of it. Caring, caring just enough. Mm. And, you know, it doesn't necessarily sound right. Like if you're the manager, you should, of course, you should, you should care more than anybody else, I suppose. And, yes. and, and who knows? Maybe I do ultimately. I don't know. Yeah. But I do care a lot about how, mm. how all that stuff runs. And, you know, part of that is, is motivated by just making my life easier. You know, that if these yeah. things, you know, if I do the work <clears throat> in, in advance, you know, then, then down the road, the, the whole process gets easier once these things get established, like the way things run. Right. But that's, that's, that's a diverging from the, from the mm. question. What, no, what, it's what, one aspect of it. Yeah, it's one aspect of it. Cause there's part of being a manager is setting up processes and systems. Yeah. But then and, there's uh, people managing. Yeah, there's there's people managing, and that and that's kind of the hardest part for me. Me too. My my, uh, my um, great fault, and this has been exposed pretty much everywhere that I've gone yeah. to some degree, is that you know I can work this stuff out in my head, yeah. you know, and and make it all make sense to me, and like this is a system that'll work. It's hard for me to get every other people on board with it to, yeah. to, to the extent that I am. And I'm better at it now than I was. Yeah. I have learned, you yeah. know, and a lot of people, a lot of people I've seen along the way, a lot of people much younger than me are, yeah. have been way better at it than me, you know, yeah. and I've, I've still, still learning that, learning how to, how to convey that thing, those little yeah. nuances that I've figured out over the years without without you know without coming across as micromanaging yeah you know it's a, yeah. it's a thin line and then, and and then some situations i don't care if you think i'm micromanaging you know yeah. there's you know if if i'm dealing with really green people who who think right. they know things that they don't know <laughs> oh, yeah. then i then i don't worry about that but yeah. um that's that's you know the biggest challenge for me and then you know, one of the strongest traits is that I don't, I don't really fear, you know, learning anything. Like I don't, I don't have yeah. any, have any fear that I'm going to reach a point that I, that there's, I'm going to get something that I can't handle. Right. So I don't, I don't worry yeah. too much about that. I don't get stuck on things. That's good. Yeah. But yeah, telling people what to do. In a very practical sense, it's so hard. Yeah. Just like not, not like telling someone what to do and not having their immediate first reaction hate, be hatred towards you. Right. It's so hard. Yeah. And some people are completely unaffected by that, you know, as, as far as, you know, yeah. to laying down the law. I don't care what you think of me. Yeah. Cause I do. Cause I do care deeply about yeah. that. Like more than anything else, really, if I'm being honest. Me too, man. I'm you such know? a people pleaser. <laughs> yeah. Dude, so, I, I like will think about telling someone what to do and not even tell them. Yeah. And just think, have the thought and then spend the whole next day being like, Oh my God, what if I told them what to do? Yeah. It's like, I have such a pathological extreme, which makes it hard. It's tricky. It's tricky, but it's also, it also, I think in, uh, if you, that kind of person that gets, that does get into management kind of stands out. Yeah. You know? 
So I mean, it's it's yeah. important to me to be to be liked. Yeah, you know, which which isn't if you like read a uh, a manual. Yeah, a standard manual on management might not be there. Might not be a chapter about that. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> you know, like that shouldn't be your first priority. No. Yeah, it shouldn't. But it's but, it's um, because I went to I have a degree in like. Um, I have a bachelor in like business administration, which is like lots of management classes. And there is a thing in academia about how it used to be, the idea used to be that you have a type of person that can be a manager that's better at it. Mm. And it's like, they have all these innate traits of like steadfast resoluteness, not caring what other people think being like, it's this 1950s idea of a manager. Sure. Mm-hmm. And there is like, cause academia and academia, they, they find these soft spongy things and they do manage to like study them in a sort of clinical lab setting yeah. and come up with different conclusions and draw different things about it. And, and they, that isn't true. Like you can learn it and it isn't like, there are chapters on that sort of on like, how much should you give a shit about how people like you? But yeah. But it's at the same time in the, it's so hard not to feel like that's true though. I always come back to this, my ex-wife's dad, because he's such a pure abstract theoretical, like the archetype of a manager, because mm-hmm. he has no fear and he's probably a sociopath, having no regard for other people's feelings, like being able to factor other people's feelings in without having other people's feelings and thoughts about you corrupt your thinking. You know what I'm saying? Like the difference, like having this psychopath way of being able to calculate and read what everyone's feelings are, but not being influenced by it. And like for him, that just meant that he got a job in his early twenties and then he got a promotion and then he got like 45 promotions (laughs) in a row Mm -hmm. until he had tens of thousands of people under him. Because he just started out with a mental makeup that was just perfect for it. Yeah. And then on the other hand, there's me, where it's like pathological people pleaser, where I have just, I just have to sort of work with what I got and build around the problem. And I've just have to decide to, my thing is like, I know that I'm a people pleaser. And my way of working with it is that I just decide who I'm going to try to please. And so I decide in a deliberate way that, okay, so I'm going to please the biggest boss mm-hmm. because that's synonymous with the overall success of the entire economic yeah. organism. And then I'm going to worry about what that person thinks because I have to, I'm going to be worrying about what someone thinks always. Sure. So I have to make it that person so that it is actually a reflection of, because I started out in restaurants and I would just like lay awake at night being like, what does that buster think of me? (laughs) You know? And it's like, that becomes synonymous with a downward spiral where you're like preoccupied with all the wrong things. Yeah. And it's, um, yeah, it's interesting. You want to, and, uh, you know, the situation I'm in now is pretty unique because like my my boss you know mm-hmm. my immediate supervisor yep. is is uh what she's 26 years younger than me she's the same age as my son how old is london she's 31 oh london's 31 okay yeah yeah yeah, yeah. 
and and uh, and all I want to do is please her. I want to take things off her plate. I want to yeah. make I want to make her life easier. Yeah, you know, and uh, yeah, and it's uh, you know, it's it's come to that point in my life where you know that's that's how it's going to be. You know, yeah, with with my age and everything. Yeah, yeah. I mean, <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I don't think about the age so much there, but. Yeah, she's younger I mean, than I me too. I don't think about it all the time either. It's but, just when I sit there and think about it, you know. Yeah. But um but yeah, we have come to the same philosophy there of just like I'm also very pre- pre- preoccupied with wanting to take things off of her plate. That's yeah. my whole thing. Mhm. I just approach every situation with like, so what can I take off of London's plate? And here? it's it, and it's also it's also you know, in my case, I mean, I, I don't know about you, but in my case, it's also that whatever I take off her plate, that's me learning to do another thing and sure. and, and making, you know, just being that much more confident in how all the systems run. Because it's very different from the job that I had been doing hmm. for 17 years previous to that. Right. You know, even, even though I was the general manager of a chain of restaurants, small chain. Yeah. You know, my my duties were very very different than than what they are. Mm. You know, than what they are in this company. The position I have doesn't exist. That right doesn't exist in this company. You right. Know, so I was I was working at, at all different places, kind of doing a little of everything. So well, I feel like this. Uh, we started talking about Kimber enough that you didn't actually answer her question. Like, how do you? How do you meet everyone where they are? How do you um, how do you explain how you do that? I mean, that's yeah. that's uh, you know I'm hardwired for that. I've always been that way. Hard to say. I've always been that way. I'm I'm getting old. You know, there's been a lot of a lot of phases of my life, and mm. I am in. Uh, there are some pretty big differences between who I am now and who I was as a teenager. And how stuff. old are you, Doug? Fifty eight. Mm. So uh, it's a hard, hard thing to say. Yeah. How do, you, how do you meet people where they're at? You know, it's just, yeah. that's, it's just kind of where I, what I've always done. And I've, and I guess part of, part of it comes with always feeling, uh, not always, but a lot of times feeling a little inferior mm. and, and, uh, and so like feeling like I have more to gain from, this meeting then that person has to gain. Mm. I relate to that. Yeah. I feel like maybe part of why I'm like, I think I, 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 I've had a lot of people in my life that really get to know me, like romantic partners and stuff and like serious relationships make the observation that I like do ultimately like talk to everyone the same, even if they're like, someone who is in some sort of hierarchy really below me, some mm-hmm. sort of socioeconomic thing really below me. And I do think <clears throat> that is informed by <clears throat> some sort of inferiority, just some feeling of feeling flawed mm-hmm. and how that makes it like easier to, yeah. Like the universe just makes you feel humbled every single day. So sure. You, so I, I almost and feel like it's harder to not feel like that. Like it's harder to feel good at everything. Yeah. Well, and I think, uh, you know, over the years, I, I, uh, you know, in embracing that, it's yeah. been kind of liberating. Yeah. You know, in, 
you know, I remember kind of being when I when I first like kind of rec- recognizing that fact for what it is, thinking, you know, I shouldn't be that way. I should yeah. I should change, but but it's it's uh, I you know I like that now. Yeah. Like it serves it serves me what you know yeah. well now to yeah. to be that way to go go ahead and feel that inferiority and and give someone the upper hand for for lack of a better term yeah you know yeah it's weird i think i almost have experienced the opposite process in my life where i think i used to be more i think my sobriety journey has been it has a couple of surprising effects which is like and this is something i noticed between you and me also it's like you and me how we approach people and maybe if people have like addiction problems and stuff, me working on that with myself and like going to a lot of meetings, working the steps, doing this whole thing has actually made me more judgmental towards people. Mm-hmm. Because one of the things is like that I've realized that, or I don't know if it makes sense. I don't know if it's a realization or it's just something that happened, but it's like before I would have this attitude like, Oh yeah, they can't do anything. So they're helpless. So they're a victim. So they have this problem. So I have to be nice to them. Whereas now I'm just realizing that like, oh, being nice to them doesn't help at all. Right. Being nice to them doesn't help at all. There is something they can do. What I do or what attitude I have matters not at all in their journey to reach complete self-obliteration to the point where they put themselves on a path upward, an upward trajectory. Yeah. So I have very, so it's weird because I have like less sympathy now for people who are on a downward trajectory. Cause I'm just like, yeah, just let them crash and burn. Cause it's like, there's no influencing yeah. people who are truly hardwired to crash. Like there's nothing we can say to these people. Yeah. And then you and me getting in these conversations about people that we have to like maybe phase out or whatever, where people struggle with something, people we can work on people that work on themselves, people that solve their problems, whatever it is. You and me, I've noticed this thing in us where I'm like, I catch myself being like, oh yeah, I have like absolutely no empathy for this person (laughs) being a shit show. Which is so... And I'm actually becoming less humble with time. Mm -hmm. Like I, in my mid-twenties, I was way more of like a self-obliterating, self-obliterated, super humble person that would like walk up to a Chinese homeless person and just like have a really engaged long conversation with them because I had this thing of just seeing everyone like a human being and being, and just seeing how everyone has the same richness of story. Yeah. And, and not just cause someone is ranked higher, not putting any extra value to their story and the richness of their story. Like I'm almost moving away from that. I've, I, I find myself almost moving away from that. It's a weird, it's a weird byproduct of a sobriety journey. Yeah. And, um, but I'll probably come back. Like, I don't know if I had to guess, I think I'll probably, it's a U shaped thing <laughs> where in the end I'll come back to that. Mm. But it's, I'm, I'm three years sober. I'm think I'm probably still in the early Yeah. I guess three years isn't very long. When you said 2019, <laughs> I'm like, wow, it's, that's it's been two a thousand days ago. Yeah. Yeah. It's been what? It's been a thousand days since 2019. Yeah. It's no, just, it's weird. Yeah. 
because I, yeah, I got sober and then six months later, the pandemic happened, which warped everyone's perception of time too. Yeah. So it's like so much of my sobriety was like in isolation. (laughs) Yeah. Which is weird. Yeah. The pandemic was weird because it really changed who can maintain sobriety. Yeah. So a lot of people relapsed. Uh, We... In the sober community, you lost a lot of people. Huh. Like so that many makes... people have like eight years of sobriety or 12. And then now they're showing up at these Zoom AA meetings. And they're like, yeah, I got three days now. Uh, I can't do like it. I'm struggling now. And, uh, and But then other people show up and they're, they talk about their sobriety stuff. And they're in the Zoom meeting. And they're like, yeah, I've never actually been to an in-person meeting because I got sober during the pandemic. And a lot of people, the pandemic definitely was a thing where it was a reset in a lot of ways. And it it was this opportunity for everyone to take a look at themselves. You know, you agree with that? Yeah. And and it changed, it made a lot of people take lessons from it that they, where they were, they were on autopilot before. Yeah. And they could be on autopilot no longer. And yeah. And it, and it changed everyone's life a lot with different yeah. things. Made changed, me move to California. Changed my life quite a bit. Oh, yeah. That's when you moved, huh? A year ago? Yes. Huh? A little bit, yes. Like 13 months ago. Yeah. Yeah. But one I, of these days, we, we, we will have, have to, to go to the place that you were we will have to go eat for decades. Yeah. And we should go there together. Yeah. And it's like the best breakfast foods. Yeah. Like, that's good. And we will have to go to South Pine because I yeah. still know a lot of people there, and I'd love to introduce them to you. And, yeah, that's cool. And, uh, yeah, and it's only one block from work. Yeah. So once you're in, you're in. Yeah. Yeah. All right, everyone. Thank you for listening. That's uh, that's episode 80 of the pod, two and a half hours. Yeah. Thank you. 